This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, or becoming patrons at patreon.com slash Show. Hey everybody, this is Tom Lommel, and you have flipped another page in the book of infinite gaming advice. You're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and this episode, number 286, we are delving into digital dungeons with the return of PDF mini-reviews. And joining us in this episode is uh, Jeremiah McCoy from The Basics of the Game, a show that used to be a podcast and is now a YouTube channel. Welcome back, sir. Hey, glad to be back. Yeah, now people would know you from our um, reviews of the middle of some of the Middle Earth products, and you have been a regular appearance on Appendix In with Jeff Wynn. Um, so people should check those things out if they want to hear more Jeremiah McCoy. Uh, and you've been on some other episodes um, in Days of Yore. We were talking before the recording. It's been a while since we've had you on uh, otherwise. Yeah, yeah, you know, life happens. It does, yeah. So here we are, and you're back. It's great. Uh, we might also be hearing from Jonathan Green later. He he has not logged into uh, to Skype at this point, but if he joins us later, uh, come to expect that. Be looking for it. And today we're going to be talking about PDFs. Each of us picked a handful of digital books to examine, and we're going to give our mini-reviews of each one while the others get to grill the reviewer. I'll be looking at Battle for the Undercity, 5th edition, and 100 Goblin Trinkets. Jeff, what are you reviewing? I am reviewing Hallister's Maze of Madness and Unstuck Encounters. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Jeremiah? I have Archive... Uh, historical people, places, and events for RPGs. Very good. But before we dive into all of those, we want to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. They are a game store that specializes in finding out-of-print products, but carries the latest and greatest as well. My pick for this episode is Tales from the Yawning Portal. We reviewed this book already, and since we're mostly looking at adventures and locations in our reviews today, I thought this collection of classic D&D adventures and locations made a good pick. I've personally run one of these adventures already and have plans to use more. Uh, They've all been converted very well. It's a great tool to have in your toolkit that adds a little homage to uh, the D&D of of the days of yore. So check it out at Noble Knight and be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Remember when a Sarak built a tomb in Greyhawk? Noble Knight does. Remember when we stood against the giants? Noble Knight does. Remember Thaco? Noble Knight does. Remember when the legendary Dragonlance was recovered to win the war? Noble Knight does. Remember Spelljammer? Mistara? Dark Sun? Planescape? Noble Knight does. Remember Chainmail? First edition? AD&D 3.5 4E? Noble Knight does. Remember all the stories you haven't told yet? All the games you haven't played? Noble Knight. A game store with all the best games from today and tomorrow and back through the ages of gaming history. Head over to thetomeshow.com to find a link to Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. All right, first things first, in full disclosure, uh, both myself 
and Jeremiah are working uh, from review copies. In fact, Jeremiah is working from uh, an advanced reader's copy of Archive. It has not been published yet. It was kickstarted only in May. Uh, so we have to, to bear in mind that the, the final product, when it finally does uh, show up for publication, may appear to be different uh, in some, usually in small ways, like editorial and formatting or whatever. Um, sometimes there's some small content changes, um, but we'll see what happens, right? But we're working from an advanced, re- or he's working from an advanced reader's copy. So, Jeremiah, tell us about Archive. Yeah. So, um, Archive is an interesting idea for a product, for one thing. Uh, the idea is take historical people, places, and events, and sort of give guidance for using them in your role-playing game, you know, whether it's D&D or what have you, it's actually not uh, system-specific. It doesn't have any system-specific rules. It's just articles about particular things and tells you some ideas of how you might use it in a game. Um, now, there are... Uh, so so when, you uh, talk, when you're talking about historical things right inspiration pieces and whatever what what are you what exactly are you talking about give us some examples well uh so and it should be made clear they've split it up into like four categories so they talk about landscapes and when they talk about landscapes they're talking like uh uh one of the the, the things they talk about is antelope canyon which uh is in the american southwest and is beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful setting, and has two layers where the top layer gets lots of light, and the lower layer get, doesn't get as much, and is uh, hollowed out from raw sandstone. And it's gorgeous. And the imagery is in the the the, the book. It's a good example of here's a a, a setting you could use, mm. or the um, uh, the the. And the idea the, does it play on the idea that you've kind of got two ecosystems going on, right? The the upper highlight ecosystem, and then what different things might lurk in the shadows of of the bottom of the canyon, sort of thing. You're right, and it's uh, you know the it, it it gives it as a description of a place and how you might use that place for your game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say like you might want to put these peoples here or these kinds of monsters or anything like that. It just says. You know, you could maybe use this as a place where you could uh, make a time-sensitive dungeon. So it might be filling with water, or uh, because flash floods do come through that that region fairly often, uh, and you have only so much time to get out. Or you know, uh, you know, it, it, you have so much time before the sun passes down and all the monsters come out, or something like that. So it's sort of a, a historical travelogue of gaming inspiration right and you know when i say historical i suppose that means the entire breadth of history including today uh the and it talks about some things that maybe wouldn't occur to most folks um like uh they they talk about hoag's object which is uh a galaxy Hmm. explain Uh, so hoag's object is a a galaxy that has a spiral rim and a dead space between the rim and the large glowing mass of a, uh, a spherical galaxy in the middle. Middle, And nobody knows why it's like that. Hmm. It's pretty. It's really interesting. 
they write a, a fairly detailed article about it and they talk about maybe using it as uh, the setting of a uh, like a super weapon in a science fiction game, some ancient race put a super weapon there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so that's the landscapes. They also have places like cities and towns. Um, they talk about uh, Derinkuyu, uh, the underground cities of Turkey, which uh, are in Cappadocia. Um, and I've seen those dealt with in a couple of gaming products over the years. Uh, but, you know, it's nice to see it get a good mention. It's super flavorful. It's these cities that have been there for thousands of years, buried under the ground, and no one's really clear who started them. Hmm. But lots of groups have lived in them over the, over the centuries. If you can't make a, uh, a good game out of that, you're really not trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and there are others... Uh, that they uh, that they they have another section that's events where they talk about things like uh, the dancing plague of 1518 where people would get sick and start dancing maniacally um, or the um, the wreck of the Medusa where the ship went down and all of the officers and important people got in the lifeboat and left everybody else on a raft and the raft drifted for 17 days and the 150 people that went onto the raft when they started, nine people came out alive. Hmm. Um, This feels a little like there's a a G plus community called that's gameable where people kind of share these little like articles from the web where you could make something gameable out of it. So it sounds kind of like a formalized version of that. Hmm. It is. Yeah. It it very much felt like somebody taking the idea of a blog about some gameable things that you could do deal with, you know, real world things that you could make gameable and made a book out of it. The last section are, is, is about people and, uh, they've got some really, you know, good choices here. Sappho is in there. Um, they've got Olga of Kiev. They've got Emotep, Cyrus, the great, uh, the pirate queen, Ching Chi. I mean, some really cool people. Uh, that you could use as inspiration for your game. You know, Ching Chi was a, a pirate queen uh, of Chinese descent, and she commanded a fleet of like a thousand ships and, you know, ruled with an iron hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, fascinating character, really. Um, and the idea of this book is all about these it's a page and a half, maybe two pages. A write-up of each of the things, and 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 I get the impression there's a lot. Like uh, I sent this book to you because the the author sent it to me, and it's a like what three hundred some page book. Yeah, it's a uh, two hundred fifty-nine. Okay. is the is the page that the index starts on. Yeah, so that's a. I mean, that's a lot of different little bits of inspiration. We should say that the full title is is what is it archive. Uh, people, places, and events. Uh, historical, historic people, places, and events for an art for RPGs. Yes. Okay. Uh, written uh, by Haley Lund and Tristan Zimmerman. Yes, and and uh, their their press is Molten Sulfur Press. Is that right? Right. I will also add that it is well laid out. It has good images, uh, use of images. It's easy to read. The typeset's great. It's a well presented book. Mm-hmm. I do have some problems with it, however. Uh, first, there are uh, 
let's say some uh, issues with the things that they've picked as subjects. So some of the choices were fantastic. Some of the choices are questionable. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mean, some some of them like some of them are mildly questionable. Like, was this re- did this really need to be here? Um, you know, maybe you do a different product to cover the the moon Europa and Hoag's object. Mm. You know, those maybe don't belong in this. Maybe they get a different book. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the towns, uh, they talk about the Sierra Madre. And they are not talking about the movie. They're talking about the boat that is off the coast of the Philippines, uh, establishing the Philippines' hold over the modern-day section of water that is disputed by China. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not that. Um, some of the events, they do a whole write-up on the Yemen, uh, revolution 2011. Uh, again, probably could have gone in a different book. Well, and, uh, and those get a little bit, things that are that recent, I imagine, get a little bit tricky in as much as history hasn't had much of a chance to really process it yet. Right. And, and, and see how it shakes out and where it goes. And the the problem I had, the biggest problem I had, uh, honestly, uh, was when they uh, they took on a couple of modern day figures that were handled poorly. Um, I'm just going to be honest. Um, they've got uh, a, a woman in here named Wendy Ding Mur- Murdoch. Now, for those of you who don't know who that is, that's uh, Rupert Murdoch's ex-wife. Okay. And she is written up pretty much as a an example of sleeping your way to the top. Hmm. And that's a problematic trope to begin with. Um, but doing it with a person who is alive today makes it a little even more problematic. Yeah. Doing do yeah I don't I. Certainly, that is a trope that is is old, and if you choose to to use it, you could find examples where you're not yeah. going to potentially, you know, drag a contemporary figure through the mud. Yeah, I mean, this and is that, it's, it's not a it's not it's not intended to be a a commentary book about modern life, right? It's it's sources of inspiration. So, I, yeah, I can see that being an issue. Uh, there's a, another one where they talk about. Uh, Marindra Modi's uh, uh, wife, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a fascinating person, uh, and the story about her is interesting. She was uh, kept hidden until he was up for running for Prime Minister of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he finally had to admit that she existed, that they had an arranged marriage when they were teenagers. Hmm. Um, and there... She's a fascinating individual, but again, you're talking about a living person and maybe not presenting them in the super best light. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, like we said, this is not released to the public. This is a pre-release copy. I'm hoping that they make some editorial changes. 
and narrow down the focus of the product. The idea of the product is good. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a lot of it is 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 generally good overall. Yeah, yeah the lot of it, lot of it is excellent. Um, the yeah the 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 layout's good. They've got good art. They got good choices of people in here. There's that's a whole story about the state of uh, Muskegee, which mm-hmm. most people have never heard of, um, which is a section of Florida that declared itself a separate nation and held off both the Spaniards and the United States for six years, huh. led by a former soldier in the British military who joined up with uh, the Creek and the, uh, uh, what was the other tribe? Seminoles. Seminole, yeah. And they would take in uh, runaway slaves, and, hmm. you know, they held off everybody for a while. Um, and that was pretty impressive. Um, and it's a story most people never hear. Um, and it make, it's certainly gameable. You can absolutely turn that into game material. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, but there's also things in here you're kind of like, why is that even in here? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, any last thoughts or last questions for uh, McCoy about archive? People, uh, historical people, places, and things for RPGs, if I remember the, all, the whole title correctly. I'm good. All right. Well, thanks for that review, Jeremiah. All right. Next up, I am going to talk about Hallister's Maze of Madness. Uh, Hallister's Maze of Madness, written by a friend of the show, Sean Merwin. Uh, He does a lot of writing and work with the Adventurers League. Um, He also does some blogging and some podcasting of his own. Um, all around great guy. Uh, I've never met a nicer person in the gaming industry. He's, he's fantastic. Um, but we're not reviewing Sean Merwin. We are reviewing um, Hallister's Maze of Madness today. Uh, this is a 37-ish page adventure um, for 5th edition. It's, it's clearly set in the 5th in the edition era. It's, it's firmly... Um, Firmly, I wouldn't say entrenched, but it, it utilizes the Forgotten Realm setting, um, which is makes sense uh, for being on Dungeon Master's Guild, right? He, he's really using what Dungeon Master's Guild is supposed to be well. Um, he's he's using that history. He's using those references. He's using the setting, but he's not like it's not like a lore dump or anything thing like that. Um, and I think he's gotten good at that style of reference uh, and placing his adventures in a shared world through his work in Adventurers League, which is largely done in the same way, right? Um, so the the idea of the this adventure is that um, for, for many, many years, going back to the original uh, Forgotten Realms setting, there's this massive, like, mega dungeon under the metropolis of Waterdeep called Undermountain. Uh, and the creator and, and sort of... Uh, crazy wizard that wanders around down there making trouble is Hallister, who is a uh, former Chosen Mistra, possibly current Chosen. I don't remember if, uh, what his current status is. Um, so he's got a very long life. and He's been living down there, uh, usually completely insane, doing all kinds of crazy things. And so the story here is that he actually was, um, right before the spell plague that, that ushered in 4th edition, he was conducting a powerful ritual 
that would stop Undermountain from collapsing during the spell plague. He had like a vision that if he didn't do something, the uh, Undermountain would completely collapse and Waterdeep would be would you know implode into a, the sinkhole of of Undermountain. And so he was working on this powerful ritual to shore up Undermountain and stop that from happening. Uh, and uh, just as he was about to finish, uh, this band of, of mages that didn't like him burst in and, and killed him. Uh, but he had a contingency in place where when he's killed, his soul was scattered um, to the four winds or whatever and, and sort of merged with different people throughout the city. So now Halister's soul is like in fragments in different people around the the city and whatever. And so the adventure begins with the party um, bumping into a little boy um, who happens to have this fragment of Halister's soul. And this fragment of Halister's soul primarily remembers um, this danger uh, of this lich that Halister had imprisoned ages ago called Frostrune. Um, but that that lich is going to break free, like uh, it, it, after the spell plague and, and all the thing, all of his wards breaking down or whatever. Um, what's going on with that lich? Somebody needs to get down there and deal with it, right? Uh, and so it, the the boy leads them to a portal. They go through the portal. You pop out in the middle of a, a knoll layer, uh, and the knolls, of course, immediately attack. Um, and then from there you find other people and prisoners and a little encampment of other people who have slivers of Halister's soul. And you work your way through this maze. Uh, each maze is sort of a puzzle in terms of – or each – so the maze is broken up into seven – six or seven areas. And each area is broken up into sort of a different puzzle. And you've got somebody following along as a guide who also has a sliver of Halister's soul in him. So that's why he knows how to get through the maze. And you get all the way through and you eventually get to the area where this, this ritual took place that helped shore up Undermountain. Um, the, the giant rune stone that was used for it has been um, has exploded in the, in the events of the Spell Plague. Uh, but you find your way to a portal to where this lich is, has possessed a, um, a Minotaur Magus. And is using the Minotaur to slowly sort of uncover where its phylactery is and, and free itself and get them get the Minotaur and his minions to you know build him a new body, right? And so the party goes and, and stops them and the 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 guide that's with them happens to know the secret of how to retrieve the phylactery and destroy it. And so you have a, a relatively low level party um, being able to take on a lich. Which isn't in its lichy form, right? But you get to that experience yeah, even at lower levels. So, so all in all, it's, it's sort of a, an intriguing um, story. It, it's well situated within the um, within the setting. Um, so, so, so. I mean, there, it probably could have used an extra editorial pass. Every now and then, I run, I ran into you know, there's a weird floating exclam or not a uh, quotation mark over here that doesn't really have a have a match or um, things like things like the fact that uh, at least in the copy I received, he he sent me a copy directly. I didn't download this off of uh, Dungeon Masters Guild, so I don't know if maybe he went through some edits afterwards. But like the actual 
product itself doesn't list that it's for characters levels 5 to 7, right? The description in Dungeon Master's Guild says that, but the product never says that. So I'm reading through the whole thing thinking, okay, but what level party do I send in here? Like, at what point do I use this? It never really spells that out. Um, He does some nice things at the end where he does sort of a... Uh, a dramatist persona, right, of all the different, uh, of a bunch of different NPCs, and it's sort of just a brief blurb about each one and what their motivations are, so it helps the DM sort of roleplay them. My only complaint with that is that I wish more of the NPCs were there, because, like, there's this whole t- camp of, of NPCs that you're supposed to be able to interact with, and, and he sets it up as sort of, here's an interesting location. If you if you decided to do further campaigning in Undermountain, this could be sort of a base of operations and whatever. It's like, well, that's great, but I wish I knew more about all those people, right? Um, uh, he, he includes extra copies, clean copies of all the maps uh, in the at the end of the PDF, a little bit bigger, not embedded into the text and all that, so you can show the maps um, digitally or print them off to show to your players very easily that way. Um, so he does some interesting uh, things like things like that to make life a little bit easier for somebody who's actually running it. So because uh, you know PDF products don't have a, a page count limit, so you can add on ten pages at the end with just here's clean copies of the maps to show your players. Um, so yeah, so I, I felt like it had you know some little things i don't know what i think about that first combat encounter the the whole idea of you're teleported into um a null layer and you're vastly outnumbered it's like there's 15 to 20 nulls there um you know he he writes it up as if you're going to defeat the nulls and then rescue the prisoners but he also sort of mentions or you know if the nulls win which is an uh uh a, poss- a definite possibility, you know, they just knock out the players and then they're prisoners and they can still interact with the other prisoners that way and figure out what's going on. And it's like, yeah, but then how do they escape? Like, there's no <laughs> description of how to handle, like, okay, but now they're a prisoner and uh, uh, that kind of stuff. So there's little things like that where I'm like, I don't, I don't know how much I like the idea of um, overwhelming a party right away with the first encounter. Um, maybe that's fine, but... At least, but, but I at least need the contingencies spelled out in terms of what happens in, in both scenarios. Um, so, and there's, you know, in the in the various... Yeah, so anyway, that, that's, that's where I'm at. So it's a maze. Um, does it have expectations that players will go a particular way? Like, player characters will go a particular way? Through? Yeah, so, so it's a maze, but it doesn't play like a maze. All right, so there's no like actual maze map where they have to figure out how to get through it. What it is is because of the magical nature of Undermountain and the spell plague and all that kind of stuff, uh, the maze actually constantly changes and shifts. So it's okay. pretty much impossible to get through anyway. But you're given sort of a – if you talk to the right people, each one of them has enough of a sliver of Hallister's soul that they give you a line um, that is a clue about how to – to get through the maze. And so basically when you first walk into a section of the maze, it's just a small section. He's got it mapped out. It's just a small section. And then a thing happens and you use the clue to f- that was given to you to figure out which way to go. And as long as you pick the right corridor to go down, you end up in the next place. Okay. Right. Uh, and if you don't, then, then there's a little section describing what happens if you don't end up going down the right way. Um, but there's a, and, and it's a little, I don't know the whole idea that, 
that there's, you know, half a dozen people in this camp to talk to that have slivers of Halister's soul and, and all any of them really have to offer is they each have one clue about this maze. Um, feels a little forced, like, uh, and then having to figure out what order they go in. And he talks about having to figure out how to do that with a with a relatively simple skill check or whatever, which seems like, I don't know, it, it feels a little contrived. Um, so... But yeah, so it doesn't. So it's a maze, but it doesn't play like a maze. Like at no point in time is there a map of here's a maze. Figure out how to get to the end. Right. So I have a couple of questions. First off, you are reasonably well versed in the Forgotten Realms lore. Uh, does it fit in the lore about specifically Halister and the current state of? Uh, of Undermountain and Halister in the realms. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I don't know that Halister is dead in the current status of the realms. I'm trying to remember the last Elminster book, and I kind of want to say that he's referenced there, but I could be wrong. And ultimately, uh, as I've always said, because uh, people oftentimes get hung up on on a setting like the realms that have a large, you know, uh, Bible of lore of of canon. Uh, about how much it's hard to have room to move in, in a setting like that. Um, and my idea for how to do that has always been the same, and that it doesn't matter, ultimately. If the canon says that Halister is alive and you want to run this adventure, then run this adventure. Halister is dead in your setting, and that's fine. And that's fine. It's just something I would think uh, maybe a listener would want to know before he... You looked into it. Yeah, I'm not sure if that if Halister's death of of everything. I don't know that Halister's death um, and his saving of Undermountain. I'm sure that the saving of Undermountain thing is not canon. Uh, whether or not he died or not would be the one thing that we might know in the canon, and, and I just don't recall exactly. Um, my other question uh, is: If Halister knew where the Lich's phylactery was. Why didn't he just destroy it instead of trapping? Oh no no so so that is covered. Um, so um, the the lich is part was part of the same organization that ultimately ended up killing Halister later, right? Uh, and this organization had been coming back as the 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 something of the twisted rune uh, has had been coming back and and trying to do horrible things to Halister for a long time. And in fact, at one point, they imprisoned him on Salune's tears, which is one of the the uh, the moon on on Faerun is um, is called Salune. It's the goddess of the moon, and it's the moon itself. But it's been like shattered on one side, and and there's like trails of of rocks and asteroids and whatever that follow in its wake. Uh, and th- those are called the tears of Salune. So at one point in time, they actually captured Halister apparently and put him in prison on the moon, or on one of those asteroids following the moon. So uh, spelljammer. A little bit. And that's kind of uh, referenced at some point. And so basically, um, Halister was angry at this Lich for having attacked him and done bad things to him in the past. So when he got a handle on the Lich's phylactery, he kept it so that he could torture the Lich. Because um, Halister's not a good guy. Uh, let's not make any mistakes. Uh, Halister is a horrible individual. And so the idea of torturing your enemies appealed to him. What he did do is is he set up a contingency wherein with a simple um, keyword being uttered, uh, the phylactery would be destroyed. So if 
if Frostrune ever got free and reformed and whatever, uh, and it got out of Callister's control, all he would have to do is utter one simple word and destroy the phylactery. Which ultimately is, is how the party ends up destroying the phylactery and killing the ledge. Cool. So there you go. Extra points for referencing Spelljammer. <laughs> well, not a, not a, uh, not a direct reference to Spelljammer, but they are they are on an asteroid on the moon, and and there is canon that there are people living on on in Saloni's tears. I, I I'll take what I can get. Yeah, there you go. There was a there was a novel. Um, it's the first one of the series was Sword Mage by Richard Baker, I think. Uh, and in the third book, they actually get a Spelljammer and fly to the moon. So you would you would enjoy that, I guess. Uh, yes. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Uh, so that is my first review. Let's go ahead and talk to Tracy. Tracy, tell us about the battle for the Undercity. Cool. So uh, yours is about Under Mountain. Uh, battle for Undercity also takes place in the realms, but is not limited to any particular city hmm. there, but also is underneath the city. And uh, the author is Monica Valentinelli. Yeah, who I think uh, James used to have on the roundtable uh, every now and then, so people might be familiar with her. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say I attended, uh, attended one of her panels at Worldcon this past year. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I think she recently worked on a a bigger book for Watsi, but I can't recall for sure right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, a dungeon adventure under a city in the Forgotten Realms that would have an undercity. Uh, it introduces three factions that are vying to have control over it and the, really leaves it up to the players what, what their characters do with that. I'm not sure how else to explain it. It's a relatively short adventure at 17 pages. Hmm. Uh and a lot of that's like maps and description of the, the various parts of the city. And it really is meant to be like uh, very open-ended, not, not a, you don't have to go through it in a particular way. Yeah, so it just, it, I mean, I'm just looking at the DMs Guild description, but it sort of describes it as being in three parts, and the three parts can kind of be tackled in any order. Right. But each part takes, what does it say, three to four hours long to, to complete? Yeah. And, um... And each each one introduces uh, or or centers on a particular faction within the Undercity. Okay. And cool. does 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 it change the story? I mean, obviously, other than the the order changes it, right? But that does you know does one part function differently if you've done other parts before it or or after it or whatever? Um, I. I don't know if the parts, uh, and I think we're doing spoilers for this too, right? I mean, I, I, I certainly spoiled the heck out of mine. So yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of, to me, it felt a little bit like um, uh, keep on the borderlands in in that I don't know how much it really changes different areas. Okay. There's some small changes that could happen uh, depending on how, on the order you decide to do things, but really, it's about who. Uh, what faction you might have already decided to become friends with or become enemies with, and that mm. kind of change can change things. Sure. Yeah, I'm just curious because it sounds like there's a she's seeking an interesting sort of balance between the the traditional sort of railroad versus sandbox discussion, right? 
and that right. in published adventures there's a greater need for structure and so they tend to be more railroady. Um, but this one is is railroady, but you get to choose which railroad you want to ride first. You know, so I didn't know how much they it opened yeah, it up and yeah, and specifically, I think a lot more of it has to do um, with uh, actually the hooks part. So depending on what group of player characters your group happens to have, uh, you can some of the missions may be done earlier than others. Um, I think it's particularly missions one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three different groups are there's a uh, rival to the thieves guild. Uh, called, I think it's the Red Coin, uh, Crimson Coins. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of goblins that have uh, become friends with animals, including rats and spiders. And then there's a... Uh, uh, I don't think it's a lich. I think it's like a revenant. I can't remember. Uh, but there's like lots of undead. Because basically, yeah, it's a revenant. Part, yeah. of the, uh, part of that area was basically a very long time ago uh they buried some very evil creatures mm. and nobody was ever supposed to find it but the uh spiders have been digging through uh underneath and, and have kind of like made it come out more okay so it, it's I, I i really like like i thought it was really interesting having the three different factions uh, and also, so like the revenant might become more important if you have a noble, or uh, or somebody who would likely have information about that's like I've heard in my travels of once upon a time there was this thing. <laughs> so do you get uh, the the sense like how unique does this undercity come off? Like having you know a dungeon underneath a city is not. Um, not a new concept. So, uh, does this one stick pretty pretty firmly to the to the tropes, or does it uh, does it explore new new concepts there? Um, I'm not sure how to answer that because I haven't I haven't done a lot of like in the realms underneath city. Like I haven't read a lot of adventures. Oh, but... I, I'm just talking generally. Like there's a there's yeah. a, a general fantasy archetype of this undercity sort of concept, right? Right, and I think it, I mean, in, in some ways it's very similar to that, and then it starts breaking because, like, instead of just being thieves, the Crimson Coins are, are like, starting to kill people, and they are functioning similar to a lot of, like, urban stories about gangs where you have to, like, kill someone in, to, in order to earn your place in the society and blah. More like an Assassin's Guild than a Thieves' Guild. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, and then, like goblins riding spiders and stuff. I don't know how how much that's been done as much. I don't know mm-hmm. how to, you know. Well, and oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it sounds like ideal for just like uh, I have. I'm running a campaign and I need some material to get from to fill in the spaces between point A and point B. Let me talk. Pick this up and toss it in. And maybe spin some of these elements into my existing campaign. It sounds like an ideal thing for that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that... so. Okay. Yeah. How well is the? Di- I mean, how much of it? 
how much of it is useful as just a, a location sort of book, right? To describe a, a sort of setting that you could adventure in, even if you're not running these specific adventures. Because it seems like uh, many DMs send their campaigns into undercities or players take them there or whatever. Uh, and it's always difficult coming up with something that feels fleshed out. Would this right. serve that purpose as well? Uh yeah, I think there's a fair bit of fleshing out uh, to it. And the, the other thing is that there's a, a even though it's only 17 pages, it's, it's dense in yeah, that it sounds there like are it lots must be. of Yeah, there's lots of like thought out um like what would guard this where there's some mimics, there's uh, uh I'm forgetting the name for them, the things like the shield or shield sword. Guardian. Oh. Yeah. There's some guardians there. Yeah, oh, I'm seeing the the in the just in the DM's guild entry. It talks about new um, creatures like variants on goblin beastmasters and and this the and the shield, right. gu- shield guardians and the revenants and that kind of stuff. And uh, there is a lot of talk about scaling the adventure both up and down, which I thought was pretty interesting. Hmm. Uh, there, that's interesting because I I've picked up a couple of adventures over time and not had that. Uh, included, and I've always wanted it as a, a thing. Yeah, and sometimes, like if it's if there's a thought that it was going to be too difficult, uh, she recommends like uh, instead of the corrupted shield guardian, here are other guardians you could have that are mm. lower, and I think maybe higher level that that make just as much sense and still give flavor. Sweet. So how do you how does she fit? Three four-hour-long adventures, a location guide, new monsters, and guidance on on scaling up or scaling down. How does all of that fit into one sixteen-page document? It's written on microfiche. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, well, the text isn't really small, but it's not large. Okay. For one, and then I think a lot of it is just naming what's there but it doesn't be there's some new monsters but there's not a lot of room taken by stat blocks from Mm -hmm. from what i can tell and um and there's artwork and everything in here too that which is kind of amusing as well um and then like i said a lot of it's just really dense uh and then referencing back to dungeon like a dungeon master's guide Mm -hmm. uh, i think we can read like a sentence right Sure. Um, phosphorescent, phosphorescent stalagmites and stalactites can be found all along the cave's border, and a falling net trap, see Dungeon Master's Guide blah, has been suspended from the ceiling and has connected on four p- pressure plates planted in the ground. Like, that's pretty dense to me. There's a lot of things uh, going on in that adventure, or in, that, in that sentence, right? Right, because, like, and it's very evocative. Like, I know exactly, I can pretty much tell exactly what she's talking about through word choice and everything. Uh, but it's not wasting a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. And it is on DMs Guild. It is a $4 PDF. Um, and sounds like a, a good location and adventure stuff, you know, <laughs> product here, right? Uh, with a yeah. lot, with a lot going on. I mean, uh, the, the adventure I, I just reviewed, um, Halister's Maze of Madness is, uh, 20 pages longer than that. Now it's decently large print and he reprints the same maps a, a second time in the back and for easy reference and, and that kind of stuff. But um, 
yeah, it sounds like he's, she's really packed a lot into a relatively small product. Agreed, yeah. Sounds like something I want to pick up. There you go. All right. So let's move on to my next review. I am looking next at um, Unstuck Encounters. Unstuck Encounters by Jean Lorber. Um, it is a pay-what-you-want product. Uh, I actually was contacted by by this author and, and asked to check out a couple of different things. And uh, one of them is a couple bucks and, uh, and was intended to be – it's a set of encounters intended to sort of um, – match up to things that you see in Volo's Guide. So if you wanted to get more use out of your Volo's Guide book, um, that's what it's intended to do. But uh, as much as I was interested in that, and that's the one that that costs money uh, and thus has a little extra barrier to entry to get into, um, I was really intrigued by this concept of the unstuck encounters. Uh, Even though people could check it out and and not pay for it, I suppose, if you wanted to, although I recommend you you throw a little something at, at them for... For, for the use you get out of it. Now, it's a relatively small PDF. It's only nine pages. Uh, it is, it's basically five encounters. Five encounters? Four encounters. It's four encounters. Uh, and the idea is you've got a party of characters and they've gotten themselves into a situation where they don't know where to go next or what to do. Like, they... They don't know where to find this this NPC. They don't know where what where to get this information that they need. Like something is there's some sort of block in their way from getting from where they are to getting to the next part that you need them to get to to, to continue the adventure. Uh, and so that's where where you throw in one of these adventures, which is why they're called unstuck encounters, right? You're you're unsticking your campaign uh, and having them. But, but making them earn it, right? So, so give them this little encounter that's going to actually make them, make them earn getting the thing, right? So the, the four encounters are titled Sticky Chicken, uh, A Fine Meal Indeed, Market Rumble, and Dark's Home for Wayward Rodents. Uh, and in each one, and each one is, is designed to help with a, with a, a different concept. So finding a location, finding information, finding an NPC. They're usable in different places. So like a fine meal indeed um, is basically uh, you're, a, you're at a city location. You need to find information. There's this old noble who, who probably has the information you need. Um, and so you are invited to a dinner party with this, um, this old noble but the the butlers for this noble keep extorting the party for money to pay for the meal because it turns out the noble's completely broke and they've been hiding it from him. Uh, and so to help him maintain his status, they keep inviting people over for these parties but then making them pay for it. But of course, the more extravagant you get with what you what you decide to pay for, uh, the better the meal gets, and the better the meal gets, the more amenable the noble is to helping you out. And so it makes sort of the checks and, and, and interactions down the road a little bit easier. So it's little little interesting things like that. And most of them aren't combat specific. Um, you know, the one of them has a has a chase. You know, you're getting information from somebody, and they're grabbed by a bounty hunter, and you got to chase him through the streets. But ultimately, he's not going to fight back. So you catch him, and he lets it let, lets the the guy go, and and you can still get the information you need. Um, you know, the only one that's really has, um, 
has any encounters the sticky chicken one because it's you know hey i'm tromping through a dungeon and we the party completely missed this one whole area and it's the area we need to go in so the the dm sort of throws this uh sticky chicken encounter into the middle of it um as a way of pointing the the party in the right direction and the sticky chicken encounter is hey there's a bunch of kobolds hanging out here in this crossroads area of the dungeon um and they're not violent, they're not fighting you necessarily, like, you know, they're defending themselves or whatever, but, um, you know, they take you off to see the chief, and the chief is like, hey, I used to live under a city, and there's this food I used to steal all the time that I, I want you guys to recreate it for me. So you have to cook them a meal called Sticky Chicken, except there's no access to chicken, so you have to hunt down cockatrices. So, so that's the only one that really has a, a, a combat encounter that's built into it. Um, they're, they're, they're just these fun little, um, you know, the last one is the, the wayward home for rodents. It's, uh, it's a little, uh, intelligent mouse that's been, um, basically he's been polymorphed. He's been cursed or whatever, uh, in this dungeon. He was a thief who got down in here and, and tripped the wrong trap and ended up being polymorphed into a, a mouse and, and kind of likes his life as a mouse. And he's used his, his status to train all the other mice and, um, what have you. And, and basically that to, to get his assistance, you need to help him build little mouse style, mouse sized furniture. Cause he doesn't want to give up all the accoutrements of, of civilization. Um, so he needs a little mouse sized furniture and, and you can help him, you know, build things like that and what have you. So there's the, just these fun little encounters that help, um, to just help move the, the party along to something else, something you can throw in to unstick them when they get stuck in this. In the, and it was a really short, really easy thing, right? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not illustrated and mapped out and that kind of stuff like you would expect from, from uh, a highly developed product. Um, but for a pay-what-you-want product uh, that's nine pages long, it was pretty much exactly what I expected, and it was well edited and well laid out and, and what have you, and that's not a small thing when you're looking at um, self-published PDFs. So so there you go. Unstuck Encounters. Cool. I, I like the, 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 the name, the home for Wayward Ronits. I, I thought that was... <laughs> that, that in and of itself warrants my interest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've sort of given you the gist of all four of the of the encounters now, but but they're they're really interesting, fun little things, and and there's mechanics for how to do like the chase scene, and and um, you know, I'm, I I don't feel like I'm I'm giving away the product, right? Uh, I feel like there's still a lot of value there that I haven't given away, so I hope people check it out. I think it was well done. All right, any no more questions for me? Unless Jonathan ends up joining us in the next few minutes, we're going to get to our last review then. Tracy, tell us about 100 Goblin Trinkets. Okay. Uh, so 100 Goblin Trinkets by J. Benjamin mm-hmm. is, uh, as advertised, 100 trinkets that a goblin might have. You roll <laughs> a d100, and there it is. Uh, so it's a pay, uh, pay what you want uh four pages in the PDF, including the cover, and the last page is, like, it's two pages of, of items. Uh, and some of them are, like, very, whatever, a flask of oil sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then other stuff is uh, a, like, a set of fancy boots made for a halfling, or a set of purple robes stained with blood and stamped with the words property of Mago, the unbeatable wizard of Ronswell. <laughs> so it's kind of like the the what is the player's handbook table of trinkets, 
but the, but he's come up with something. I assume it's a he. They've come up with something that's very specific for some th- trinkets you would find around goblins. Right. Okay. Uh, and I I love trinket tables because there's I mean a oil stuff you can't do as much with, but the those other things like you could have a whole story or your uh, players could decide to, to go on a whole tangent based off of a trinket that they find. Mm. Um, and those were always my favorite part of older adventures too. Like we, you would rummage through someone's room and find a book uh, somebody wrote on dragons mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, it feels like one of those things that you'll occasionally um, catch um, writing groups or whatever will do these writing exercises of, you know, come up with 100 NPC names or book titles or whatever. Or right. in this case, goblin trinkets. And, and uh, In fact, I'm looking at the DMs Guild page for it, and he's done a bunch of stuff with goblins now. This is his fourth goblin-based product. There's another one that's 100 goblin NPCs and stuff like that. So um, you can do some interesting then, things there. A goblin's tale in search of Octa? Octa. Yeah, Octa. So, yeah, uh... Definitely um, focused around goblins. And the other thing I love about these types of trinket tables is that they're a way of doing, um, building out the culture of the area in mm-hmm. some ways. Uh, in the background, in video games, you, you get it a lot um, as you're walking around and, and seeing various things. You can get details just from the background. And it's kind of harder sometimes in uh, D&D adventures to do the same sort of thing. And this is one way you can do it. I, I, I could totally see a whole adventure starting with, hey, how did this goblin get these elf boots? Wait, <laughs> do we need to go find an elf who is now missing his boots? Is the elf dead? Where, you know, we should interrogate this goblin and find out where he got these boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And so like, maybe not the best thing if uh, you are a DM that likes to run railroad adventures and your players might get distracted. Um, but I think there are other potential issues there. Hmm. Uh, but it could also be like, it, it may be difficult for a DM who, uh, doesn't have a lot of time to prepare tangents, mm-hmm. uh, and, and people are just trying to, you know, play. But I liked it a lot, uh, particularly for it's like, pay what you want and, yeah. uh, it looks like this one. So this one was listed as being a supplement to his other product, uh, Goblins, a tribe called Pit Shadow. Um, <laughs> all right. And and, uh. and that one, is, I mean, that one's only a dollar. Um, it's a and it's a twenty-page product that's basically just a, an ecology of this one goblin tribe, uh, and that that specifically references Volo. Right, who who has done these these monster descriptions and, and travelogues or whatever of the realms for for ages? So I like that that he's actually. Uh, I, and again, wait, I keep assuming his gender or it, their gender. It, <laughs> um, it, but but so it, I like it, that, that they've that they've sort of tied it into that that sort of lore. Is the leader of said goblin tribe named G Tip? I have no idea. No, nothing. Okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> this is an expansive look into goblin tribal life a mm-hmm. uh, concept of goblin armor uh, honor I mean uh, common sayings and goblin parlance 
and 12 separate goblin clans. I like this. This this one I'll look into as well. Yeah, there's a whole yeah. there's a whole set here. I, this guy has is uh set upon a milieu of goblins and he will do goblins. Well, and they've also uh, they've also got uh, they've also got others like uh, there's a couple in a set of nautical there's nautical magic items and nautical trinkets that he that they've also thrown together and there's another one that's 20 magical trinkets it, it, it feels like they've done a lot of um, a lot of those sort of uh, writing exercises right uh, and then put them together into products and, and laid them out and, and cleaned it up and published them they look fun books of knowledge mm-hmm ooh Ooh, okay. Uh, you had my you had my interest in books. <laughs> books of knowledge, <laughs> magical trinkets. Another one dollar uh, twenty eight page PDF there. Well, it's been well reviewed by some people too. Look at that. All right, cool. Well, now we've gone way off topic from what you actually reviewed, <laughs> but uh, not I guess not way off topic. But uh, I think that's where we're going to go ahead and call it. Uh, unfortunately, Jonathan obviously didn't join us today, so we're going to call this the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight, to you, Jeremiah, for joining us. Where can people find you? Uh, I have a website, jeremiahmccoy.com. I'm also on YouTube at The Basics of the Game, and I talk about a lot of uh, gaming-related stuff. Awesome. And we'd also like to say thanks to all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild, or uh, by supporting us on patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Uh, great folks like Jeremiah. Yay. I am proud to be a member there of the club. <laughs> uh, other patrons include Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Mark, and our new patron, Carmen. Thanks for the support, y'all. All right, if you want to get a hold of us, you can uh, tweet Tracy at Sarah Dark Magic. You can tweet me. I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H. That's at Squatch. You can tweet the show at The Tome Show. Uh, and you can call, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com, or you can call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. Has anybody called recently? No. <laughs> uh, they, they should fix that. I am putting a challenge to everybody who listens to this show. Call the call-in line and leave a voicemail. So here's what happens. When when I say things like that on episodes, then people just call in saying, hey, I called up with the voicemail, and, and it's not really meaningful. Like, if you want to call the voicemail, that's awesome. Tell us about a PDF that, you're, that you've uh, recently purchased and want to, want to talk about, and maybe we'll include it in a future episode. That's a good idea. You should call up and leave a review. Uh, not too long of a review, but a review on the yeah. phone. I think the, I think uh, the so we use Google Voice for that, and I think it maxes out in a few minutes. So okay, awesome. And that's episode two eighty six, where we peruse the library of PDFs in this episode of. I'm not a